evidence and answers. The early part of the year 2020 has been one that no one will forget, from the COVID-19 virus pandemic to the economic upheaval to the protests, riots, and social unrest. Is there really an answer to all of this? We need God more than ever. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, our host, Pat Zukran, will share a message of hope entitled, Racism, Riots, and Reconciliation. Now, here's the conclusion to today's message. She came to the well to draw water. As she went to draw water, Jesus looked over at her and said, would you give me a drink? And this absolutely stuns the woman. And she says, why would you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? Hey, remember, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Not only that, she is a woman. So Jewish man, a teacher, rather, a rabbi, talking to a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman. And on top of that, a sinful woman, a woman who had a reputation. And they have this dialogue, and she's one of the first people Jesus reveals his true identity to. All right, and he reveals to her that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel. And so the woman in her excitement goes and tells the rest of the town and they come and they meet Jesus. And the text says there in verse 39 through 43, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then it says, after two days, he departed back home for Galilee. He spent two days in Samaria eating with them, fellowshipping with them, talking with them, breaking down those racial barriers. See, the wounds of racism indeed run very, very deep. There have been some atrocious acts committed because of racism. But it's only the great physician who can heal such deep wounds that is in the heart. It's the power of Christ and the model of Christ. And his spirit has been given to us that empowers us to overcome deep-seated sin like racism that allows us to love as he loved all men and women. Good friend of mine who's become kind of a mentor is Mike Foster. He's the recently retired president of Word of Life Bible Institute there in the Philippines. Fantastic ministry there in the Philippines, touching the lives of thousands of young people all over that country, sending missionaries all over the world. I have the privilege of teaching uh, at that Bible Institute. I asked him, Mike, I mean, you know, he's six foot tall, white guy from mid-United States. Whatever got you to spend the rest of your life there in the Philippines, in Asia. You know, and he said, well, I fought in the Vietnam War. You know, and he said, I was in the Marines. You know, and I saw some atrocious things. And I said, well, that makes it even worse. What would make you want to go back to Asia? And he said, yeah, well, I saw some great atrocities there. But when I got home, I gained the faith in Christ, got serious about God, and started thinking about the war. Not about all the atrocities I saw, but the hundreds of lost people out there. The fact that there were so few churches out there and uh, the people out there were lost and they needed Jesus. As a result, he said, man, I couldn't help it. 
but I was motivated to come out to Asia to reach those people for Christ. You know, and that's what happens when Christ gets a hold of you. When you come to Christ, you are transformed by His Spirit and His love. And when Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, we cannot help but love others as Jesus loved, no matter how deep the wounds may have been inflicted upon us. So our application is this. We overcome racism and sin when Jesus truly becomes Lord of our life. And our commitment is to walk in the power of His Holy Spirit and obey Him, even when it means going against our old values and cultural norms. We overcome sin like racism through the power of Christ given to each one of us through His Holy Spirit. We're not going to overcome racism by simply exposing dirty cops or creating economic equality or electing new government officials. Jesus Christ is the one who can transform hearts and minds. That's what we need. And when Christ takes a hold of a person's life, that individual's heart becomes like the heart of the master, like Jesus Christ. So Christ is the model. And now his body, the church, must be the living model of Jesus Christ. And the early church struggled with racism. It was tough for them as well. We see in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, a complaint arose amongst the Gentiles, the Greeks, right, that the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Right? These are the Greek widows, and that problem needed to be addressed. Now, the apostles and many of the Jewish Christians there were kind of just remaining in the Jewish arena, and God wanted them out into the world to break out of the Jewish culture and reach the entire world for Christ. Remember Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. All right, and so God kind of had to push them out of their comfort zone, out of their culture, to reach the rest of the world for Christ. And we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter is there in Joppa meditating, and he's at the house of Simon the Tanner. One of the things that was keeping the Jews from going outside of their culture is that uh, they were still sticking with the traditions and the law of the Old Testament, which had been done away, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, the Old Testament law had been fulfilled. Romans chapter 7, it had been fulfilled. We're under the new covenant, the new law established by Christ. Right? So Peter sees a sheet of all these unclean animals coming down, and God tells him, kill and eat. And he said, no, I ain't going to kill and eat. And God says, no, don't say anything that I made is unclean. You can see that God was doing away with the dietary laws. Why? He's preparing Peter for the encounter that's coming up next. Because at that same moment, a vision was given to Captain Cornelius, not the uh, captain of the planet of the apes. Captain Cornelius was the captain of the Roman guard. And he also receives a vision. And he's told, hey, go to Joppa, get this guy Peter, because he's going to tell you how you can know me. All right? And so at that moment, a Roman guards come and fetch Peter. And Peter goes with them. All right? And he comes to the house of Cornelius. All right? And when he comes there, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says to Cornelius, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Right? And Cornelius shares with Peter the vision that he had. He brings his family and everybody he knows in to hear Peter. And Peter begins to share the gospel. And as he is sharing about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they are baptized into the body of Christ. Well, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem Council, to the leaders of the church. And he gets criticized for what he does. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, these are Jews who are still you know, trying to live by the law, he criticized him saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. All right? What's the big deal? Well, they're saying, Peter, you hung out with the Gentiles and you even ate with them. Okay? You ate unkosher food. You were eating Gentile food that has not been prepared in the ceremonial way that we require for them to be kosher and clean. Probably, Peter probably even ate pork, which was a common staple amongst the uh, Romans at that time. All right? And they're like, what in the world were you doing? All right? He uh, catches flack from them. All right? So you can see they're still struggling with this whole issue. And Peter explains, look, I got a vision that the dietary laws are done, all right? We're under the new covenant of Christ now. And Cornelius received a vision, and so I was obedient to God, and I went, and as I was preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon these uh, Romans, these Gentiles, and they received the Holy Spirit. They're part of the body of Christ. They're part of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Jerusalem Council reflects on this, and in the end, it says, they rejoice, for now they knew right, that the Gentiles were to be a part of the body of Christ. And what it shows us is that God wants us to leave our comfort zone, to love those who are different from us. God's love is greater than the barriers that separate us whether they be cultural divides, language divides, or sin. God's love is greater than all those barriers that may separate us. We learn a lot about love when we extend our love outside our comfort zone. You know, God often has to push us outside our comfort zone to teach us something about love. You know, when I first went to the Philippines a few decades ago, I had... Filipino-American friends, but they had never been to the Philippines, all right? And in fact, growing up, everybody thought I was Filipino. Everywhere I go, people think I'm Filipino, except when I'm in the Philippines, all right? Then they think I'm Japanese. But everywhere else around the world, everybody thinks I'm Filipino. Well, anyway, growing up, you know, so everybody called me Filipino or the tilapia or, you know, whatever junior high kids call you. So I had Filipino-American friends. We didn't know anything about the Philippines, but we heard stories, all right? And I remember before my first trip to the Philippines, I mean, they were all saying, hey, watch out, watch out, because if you're eating food there, you don't know, it might be a dog or a cat, all right? So watch out, you know? And they said, hey, uh, if they serve you balut, you know, look out. I said, what's balut? They said, that's like a two-month-old duck egg, you know, that they boil, and you see the duck embryo in there, you know, and that's what you eat. And I said, gross, nobody. They said, yeah, they eat that over there. And they said, you better make sure the duck is dead when you eat it. 
Because if it's not, you eat it, you swallow the duck, and then, you know, one day you're going to be brushing your teeth, you know, and opening your mouth and, you know, there's duck, it's going to come swimming out, you know, and things. So I had all this idea, you know, of the Philippines. But anyway, I was in Dallas and John Fogel, a missionary from Word of Life Philippines came and, you know, he said, hey, we want someone to teach apologetics at Word of Life Bible Institute in the Philippines. And my boss, Kirby Anderson, said, I got the perfect guy for you, all right? And of course, you know, I came and I met John and there were a couple other guys and John said, okay, well, we can only bring one guy, so what can you all teach? And so I just presented, well, here's what I teach on and then I didn't think much about it. Well, John called Kirby the next couple of days and said, we'd like Pat to come. And I'm like, oh no, you know, Philippines. Man, he's, the only thing what I heard was from my Filipino-American friends. And so uh, anyway, I was excited but kind of weary to go. And I thought, well, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll spend uh, 10 days out there and I'll come back and, and it shouldn't be that bad. Well, I got out there and our driver came and picked me up and we had a long drive. And so we stopped at McDonald's along the way. And in, you know, each McDonald's in a country has their special food that they serve. And in the Philippines, there's a smaller burger. It's called McDog, or McDog. That's how you pronounce it. And I, I saw everybody ordering that. And I said, hey, I looked at the driver and said, what's that? And he said, McDog. And I said, McDog. He goes, yeah. I said, McDog, you guys eat dog? That's dog hamburger? And, you know, he kind of looked at me and smiled. He goes, yeah, you should try it. It's good. I said, you guys eat dog? I said, where did you get the dog from? And he pointed on the street. He goes, right there. See those dogs? I said, I ain't eating that stuff. You know, and I thought to myself, these people are crazy. Eat dog, dog burger. You know, and then uh, I went to the mall and I went into the restroom. And uh, those of you from the Philippines kind of know what I'm talking about. I didn't see any toilet seats on the toilets. And so I came back and I asked the driver. I said, hey, how come you guys have no toilet seats? And he said, people steal them. I said, why did he steal the toilet seat? What are you going to do with a stolen toilet seat? You know, I can understand stealing a hammer or a radio or something. You know, what are you going to do with a stolen toilet seat? You know, he just kind of looked at me and smiled. Now I know, you know, he was playing with me. But, you know, I remember going uh, that first day, sitting in the car going, these people are crazy. McDog, stolen toilet seat. I don't ever want to come back. I'm going to serve my 10 days, and I ain't ever coming back to this place. And when and I did my teaching out there in Manila and out in the smaller cities. And you know, after 10 days, I had a great time. And I discovered these are some of the most wonderful, most well, it's, Filipino culture is probably the most welcoming culture of any country in the world, of any culture in the world. And it was just great time to be there and to serve with these people. And I learned to break out of my comfort zone and to reach out and to see these people, you know, as Christ saw them, to break down those stereotypes and barriers and things that I had imagined. And not only was I able to love them, I was, they extended their love towards me. And now today, it's one of my favorite countries to go to. And in fact, I was talking to my wife, if Hawaii ever sinks into the ocean, the two places we might choose to escape to would maybe be the west coast of the United States, or the Philippines. And that's what God wants us to do. And often he's got to push us out of our comfort zone so that we can learn how to extend our love to others and break down those barriers that set us apart. So our application is this. Every Christian 
should be about doing the Great Commission, and that means that we are to be involved in cross-cultural outreach or missions regularly, on a regular basis. See, when we stay within our own culture, we stay within you know, our own church and our comfort zone, we begin to think Christianity is what we see in our church, in my church, every Sunday. But the body of Christ is much larger than our church on Sunday. And it's ideal that every church be multi-ethnic, that we reach all generations, crossing all societal classes, reaching all races. That's ideal. And some churches can do that, but a lot of churches, it's kind of tough because each church establishes its own culture for the location that they're in and the people that they're trying to reach. And the multicultural, multi-generational, it's the ideal, but it's not always possible. Right? Kind of, that's the world we're in. But that's why I think churches and Christians need to regularly work and network with other churches in the body of Christ that are reaching a different kind of demographic. I'm glad that our, our youth get to go on youth mission trips and cross different cultures, work with different people. And it's absolutely amazing to see and experience how the gospel and the love of Christ breaks down barriers of skin culture, ethnicity, and language. And you grow. Your heart really grows when you learn to extend love to those who are different from you. And it's amazing to see how the love of Christ transforms them to where they also embrace you. So the church had to overcome racial prejudice. And one church in the New Testament was recognized as a model church. Not a perfect church, but a very healthy, the kind of church Christ wanted. And we find that in Acts chapter 11, that's the church of Antioch. It says in verse 19 through 21, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Okay, so many Christians were still stuck in their culture, and that's understandable. All right, because when you're going in a foreign land, you want to associate with those that you connect with of your culture. But it says in the next sentence, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks, to the Hellenists as well, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You see, this ended up becoming a racially mixed church. It ended up becoming a multi-ethnic church. Daryl Bach, who writes one of the best commentaries on Acts, says this. He says, Antioch reflected a marriage of Oriental and Hellenistic life with Greeks, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Persians, Egyptians, and Indians making up the population. The church with its practice and doctrine represented a distinctly counter-cultural way of life. And isn't it interesting that it, the verse 11, verse 21 says, this is where they were first called Christians. All right, now that is significant because they weren't another sect of Judaism. These weren't a group of Jews worshiping the Jewish Messiah. This was a mixed group. A multicultural, multi-ethnic kind of group worshiping Jesus Christ. And people didn't know what to call them. 
you know, these are not Jews who worship the Messiah or, you know, the way they were originally called. I mean, what were they to be called? This mixed group of people of all ethnicities worshiping Christ. And so they end up being called Christians, which means followers of Christ. Isn't that interesting that the most ethnically diverse church is the first one called Christian? And the church, this church, leads the way sending the first missionaries into the Gentile lands of Asia Minor and Europe. And we see that God is glorified and the church becomes a powerful witness for Christ when they see God's love overcoming barriers that keep us apart. And the Antioch church, if you study it, it was united despite their tremendous ethnic diversity because they were focused on fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission of Christ. And when you got a church focused on those two, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, you've got an unstoppable church that cannot be ignored. You know, I was listening uh, on ESPN, and everything was about the race rights and all that was going on. And the pro athletes, you know, were talking and saying, hey, sports is what brings all the races together. You know, when we're on the court or we're on the football field and we're in battle together, where you not? You don't care what that guy is, Latino white, black, Asian, you don't care what he is because we're out there with one focused mission of winning a championship. Now, off the court, they go their separate ways, but on the field or on the court, they're one because they're focused on a mission that is winning. Now, if basketball or football or sports can bring the races together to work together for a time, shouldn't the church be able to bring all people together around the greatest mission and cause of all? When we're focused on a goal that is bigger than you or I, then we unite under that worthy cause. And Christians can come together when we have a body focused on living for Jesus, fulfilling the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as ourselves, and the great commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. So the church needs to be absolutely committed to the great commandment and the great commission. And when you have both, that's an unbeatable church. When we're sold out to those two commandments, we can be the model to the world that Christ desires us to be. The church of Christ needs to be united and gets united when its people are sold out and focused on fulfilling the great commandment of Christ and the great commission of Christ. Well, the problem of racism is not going to be overcome by protests or riots, throwing corrupt people in jail or education. Those are temporary solutions. Those are good. Those are good. Right? And, but those are temporary solutions. It'll be overcome when people get right with God, when Christians commit to fully living for Jesus Christ, and fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Now, events we see today show us we cannot defeat evil of racism by human strength alone. And the world is desperately looking for the solution. And I hope they can look at my church, at this church, and I hope they can look at your church. And when they do, they'll say, hmm, those people seem to have the answer. Must be the God they worship. Let's go and check it out. God bless you as you live for him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your love for all people and the example set for us. And there's a tremendous struggle today to overcome sin and 
as we discuss today the sin of racism that divides us, even in the body of Christ. Lord, we pray that we will be a people completely sold out to you, living out the great commandment and the great commission that we may be the light to the world, that the world may turn to you for the answer to defeat sin and evil. And may we live this out faithfully in church together as a body of believers and each day as a disciple of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Zucaran.